Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. into our series on the book of John, uh, starting with John chapter 10. Um, And if you remember, John chapter 9, uh, we saw that Jesus healed a blind man that was born blind from birth. And uh, now in John 10, um, Jesus is addressing a group of the Jewish people, including the Pharisees. And I love this passage because he is talking about himself and describing himself. And this is very practical for us because the more we know Christ, the more, um, I guess, the, uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, the more we know Christ, that should impact the way we live, the way we see ourselves, the way we, uh, we treat others, right? And, and that is what happens in this passage here today. I lost my place. There we go. So in John 10, Jesus uses the imagery of sheep and a shepherd. And this imagery might seem kind of foreign or dated to us. Um, I mean, not, most, not many of us are shepherds nowadays. But um, during this time, the symbolism, symbolism of a shepherd and sheep was very prominent, as you can imagine. Shepherding was a very common way of living during the time. And uh, so this picture would have been very familiar for Uh, the people in the audience that Jesus was speaking to uh, during the time. Kings and even foreign gods during this time were sometimes described as as being like shepherds. So just to help us out a bit, maybe we can take a moment to understand uh, the life of a shepherd. And maybe this is only new knowledge to me because I grew up in the city, but the life of a shepherd wasn't very, uh, it wasn't an easy way of living at all. Um, It wasn't for the faint of heart. Last year, we started taking our kids to this petting zoo um, about a half hour north of Chicago called Lamb's Farm, if you're familiar with that. And they have, uh, they have all kind of farm animals, you know, like cows, horses, uh, goats, and sheep, and they even have a camel, uh, which was surprising. Um, but you're allowed to feed the sheep uh, handfuls or, or bagfuls of hay uh, during, during your time there. And uh, it's easy, easy to think while you're standing there feeding the sheep handfuls of hay. Um, this is easy. I could take care of sheep for a living. This is no big deal. The sheep of the place are, are very calm, you know. Um, they eat a couple mouthfuls from your hand, and then eventually they'll get bored and lie down in the shade somewhere. And uh, if that's all shepherding was, shepherding would, have been a, would be an easy, easy way of living, an easy lifestyle. But in reality, the shepherd, the life of a shepherd was really tough. It was uh, really a 24-7 on-duty job caring for the sheep. The sheep lived in a, a fold that looked, uh, uh, yep, like an image in the, on the screen right now. It looks similar to that. Um, there was like three walls. Sometimes the fourth wall in the back would be like the back of a house. And then you had a gate in the front. Early in the morning, the shepherd would lead the flock 
from this fold to a place where the, the sheep would pasture and graze. And sometimes it was a, a long journey to find a good place where they could pasture. Uh, it was a difficult, difficult journey. Um, and for those of you who know, sheep are notorious wanderers as well. So they, they always go off track. You have to really make sure they're following you. Um, and if they do go astray, the shepherd has to, has to search for the sheep and bring them back to the fold. And um, yeah, and then at night, the shepherd brings the, the sheep back to the fold, and even then his job isn't done. He then has to watch over them through the night because uh, there might be predators like beasts or even thieves uh, that come into the fold and, and try to, to steal or kill the sheep, right? So the life of a shepherd was, was not an easy task. It was filled with hardships and danger. So with this, this kind of context and background, let's jump into our verses for today, starting in John 10. Uh, again, it's John 10, 1 through 21. We're reading through the NIV. Uh, we'll also have the verses on the screen here shortly. Let's start in verse 1, though. It says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So in this parable, we obviously have three different characters, right? First, we have the sheep. Uh, then we have the thief or robber. Uh, and lastly, the shepherd. And as we saw in the image on the screen, the way the sheep pen was built during this time was there were three walls and then a fourth that had a gate in the front, right? Sometimes there was an actual gate and sometimes the shepherd would just kind of lay in between the, the gateway as we, we saw in that image just a second ago. Um, but the only one who entered uh, through the gate would be, or the one that would enter through the gate would be the shepherd and the sheep, right? They would enter and exit through that, that entrance, through that gateway. Uh, the only person that would enter some other way, usually over the walls, they probably didn't have good intentions for being there, right? They were, they were kind of going over the walls, not going through the front gate. Um, and those, those would be the thieves and the robbers, someone who didn't have good intentions, but they were likely there for their own benefit. So the, the sheep in the story, they recognize that the, sh the thief is a stranger, and instead of listening to him, they run away from them. And because this is a, a parable, we know that there is a deeper meaning behind this story. Um, the characters in the story obviously represent someone or a group of people in particular. And uh, as we saw in verse 6, the Pharisees didn't understand the parable. Um, just like some other parables that we see in the Gospels, Jesus will take some time to expand on and also explain um, the meaning behind this parable. So let's read on to verse 7 right now to start to get to that meaning. So verse 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we see at the beginning of this passage that Jesus is addressing specifically the Pharisees. Uh, he's talking to some other people as well, as we'll see, but he's, he's specifically calling out the Pharisees uh, within this, this parable. And now in verse 8, Jesus is revealing who the thieves and robbers in this story are, who the, who the characters are representing in this story. Uh, he describes them as the ones who came before him or the ones who came only to steal, kill, and destroy. Though they, they don't understand it, Jesus is actually using the character of the thieves and the robbers to describe the Pharisees. And this is true to who they were during this time. Um, just as we saw, we spoke a moment ago about chapter 9, how the Pharisees cast a man that was healed of blindness out of the temple, his community, just because uh, the miracle of his healing and his beliefs contradicted their own beliefs, right? Throughout New Te the New Testament, we see that the Pharisees were the elite of society during the time. And as the religious rulers, they required the Jewish people to abide by a set of rules and traditions that they had made. Um, they would often twist those same rules for their own benefit. In Luke 16, the Pharisees were described as lovers of money. So they, they thrived and benefited monetarily by the following of the Jewish people. And as, as we probably already know, the sheep in this story represent the Jewish people or the followers in general. And the Pharisees should have acted as the shepherd to these people. But they truly were the, the thieves and the robbers that Jesus describes here. But to contrast the Pharisees, Jesus begins to describe himself. Uh, and he does this in two different pictures. And the first one we saw in verse 7, where he says, I am the gate. Jesus describes himself as the actual gate or passageway uh, into the fold, right? We saw earlier that there's only one legitimate way into the sheep pen, and that is through the gate. And in the same way, there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And that is what Jesus is saying through this imagery in the gate of the gate. During this time, the Pharisees, they saw themselves as the gate, and they tried to act as the, get, the gateway to God. Uh, like we said earlier in, in chapter 9, we saw the Pharisees throw the man out, heal the blindness out of the temple. And by doing so, they were not only cutting him off from his community, his, uh, his place to see his family and, and make trades and such, but they were also cutting him off from his place of worship, his ability to make sacrifices to God. Uh, they were taking away what he knew as his only access to God. But Jesus contradicts this mindset here by saying the Pharisees aren't the gate. They're only thieves and robbers with intentions to, to benefit themselves, right? And the temple was a place to sacrifice and worship to God, but it isn't the, gate to, the gateway to God either. Jesus says, I am the gate, meaning I am the only way to God. And this is an important message for us today. Jesus says this even more explicitly in a few chapters. We'll see in chapter 14 of, of John. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
So just a, a question for us this morning. What is, what is your gate? We may not have uh, Pharisees today, but some of us might have uh, gained this mindset through, throughout our, our days of ver- from various religions or people or churches that say that we must do a list of things in order to have access to God. Um, you might hear promises of freedom and peace only obtained after you, you follow a set of rules uh, or perf- perform a certain amount of good deeds, right? Or that you even need to join a specific church before you can have access to God. Or maybe some of us feel like we need to be a certain way before we have access to God. But Jesus is saying very clearly here, without condition, he says, that he says, I am the gate. Only through him do we have access to God, right? Those who enter through him will be saved, as it says in verse 9. All the extra burdens we put on ourselves from, from the world, from the enemy, and, and uh, they really just end up robbing us in the end because they, they don't lead to salvation. They don't lead to us being reunited to God. So if, if there's any of us here listening out or maybe to this recording in the future who don't know if you have been reunited with God or um, if, you, if you don't know you are saved, if you are saved or not, just hear this today. There, there isn't any amount of penance that you need to perform to be saved. You don't need to act a certain way or, or you, you don't need to stop sinning even before you are saved. In fact, until you are saved, the Bible says that you continue to be a slave to sin. Only through Jesus, not our own self-control, are we truly set free from sin. Only through Jesus, not our good deeds or works, can we be saved. So if you aren't sure that you have been set free, if you are saved, please don't leave today without knowing for certain. I'd urge you to to speak with myself or one of our leaders here uh, about this because this isn't a question that we, we should take lightly. Another contrast to the Pharisees or to the thieves of the earth is also found in verse nine, uh, when the robbers come. Oh, when the robbers come, their their purpose in being there is only to steal and kill and destroy for their own benefit. With the thieves, there's only danger and destruction for the sheep, right? Uh, but Jesus tells us the purpose in His coming. Within verse ten, He says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy." I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we can trust that when we turn to Jesus, not only will we be reunited with God for eternity, we also have a new life in him. And not just any new life, a life to the full. So back in in verse 9, it describes this life and what this life is like briefly by saying that through him, the sheep find freedom in pasture, um, and that is true for us Christians today. In Jesus, we have freedom from sin, we have protection from thieves and robbers, and we also have uh, pasture. This pasture is a, is a beautiful picture of a place where the sheep can walk and, and graze freely and find rest. A pasture is a place where the, the sheep freely have all their needs provided for, and the same goes for us now and for the future. In, in Jesus, we have pasture. In him, we find a life where 
not just our external needs for our bodies are met, but we also have our deepest needs of our souls met in him. So just, just to move on in the passage, Jesus then describes himself with a, a second picture starting in verse 11. Uh, we should see those verses on the screen. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I, I, lay, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So the second picture Jesus gives to describe himself in this passage is the good shepherd. And what does, what does he mean by good shepherd? Well, throughout the Bible, we see examples of good shepherds uh, throughout scripture, right? Moses and David were, were both actual shepherds at points in their life. Uh, Moses was a shepherd of uh, Jethro's flock before he was called by God through the burning bush. David was a shepherd over his father's sheep before he defeated Goliath. But also both Moses and David acted as shepherds and leading the Israelites within their lifetimes as well. There are also those that God called bad shepherds throughout scripture. And in Jeremiah 23, God says through Jeremiah, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. So God here in this, in this example is speaking specifically about several kings during the time who scattered and destroyed his people. And another example even more uh, relevant is found in Ezekiel 34. Um, Ezekiel prophesies against the leaders of Israel at the time when he says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curd, you eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. So just like the Pharisees of this time were seen in, in John 10, the leaders, the leaders of Ezekiel's time were not caring for the people also. They didn't care for the weak or, or seek out the lost. Instead, they were scattering the flock, it says, and they would clothe themselves with the best of what the flock had, had to offer. Within this, this same passage, God claims the flock as his own. He says that he himself will search for those who are lost and will care for them. He will pasture them. He will tend them, bind them up, and strengthen the weak. God himself will shepherd his flock with justice. And this is such a, a beautiful picture of God's heart, right? He sees, he sees his flock. He sees his people treated unjustly. And he sees that they're wounded and lost and scattered. And he declares justice against their oppressors and, and that he himself will lovingly care 
for his shepherd, for his people. And now back to John 10, we see this prophecy in Ezekiel fulfilled in Jesus when he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus declares that though there were good shepherds in the past and there were certainly bad shepherds in the past, he is the good shepherd of God's people. And specifically, Jesus describes how he is the good shepherd uh, in two ways. First, he says, first, he's, first he lays his life down for the sheep. So during this time, the shepherd could either be the owner of the sheep uh, or the, the son of the owner. But sometimes the shepherd would also be a, a hired hand, uh, somebody who's, who is hired to be a shepherd to those sheep. And Jesus points out here that if an enemy such as like a, a thief or a beast came out and attacked the sheep, uh, there's no way a, a hired hand would risk their life for someone else's sheep, right? Actually, in the, in the uh, Jewish law, it said that if a wolf attacked, the shepherd was responsible to defend the sheep. If, if a single wolf attacked, they would be responsible to defend the sheep. But if two wolves attacked, it was seen as an unavoidable accident. Meaning if, uh, if, uh, if two attacked, they wouldn't be responsible for the, the loss of the sheep. But to contrast this mindset, Jesus says here that as the good shepherd, he purposely lays his life down for the sheep. A normal shepherd would, would simply risk his life by defending the sheep. And if he died while defending the sheep, it was, it was seen as a tragic accident, right? But Jesus, as the good shepherd isn't risking his life. He willingly, willingly is laying it down. His, his foreshadowing death that we're going to read about in the coming weeks isn't an accident. For any normal shepherd, laying down their life would be something foolish, not, not just for themselves, but also for the sheep, because the sheep would be unprotected at that point. But Jesus says in verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, willingly went to the cross and laid his life down for us, his people. He did so out of obedience and in harmony with his father's will. It wasn't by accident or out of defeat by the enemy that he died on the cross. Um, but instead, just like Peter and John pray in Acts uh, 4, uh, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they're saying here, the acts of Herod and Pilate to sentence Jesus to death. Um, it was part of God's plan all along. Jesus willingly laid his life down for us and uh, he did so with the resurrection in mind. He laid his life down knowing that he had the authority to both lay it down and to take it back up again. He knew that when he laid his life down, we wouldn't be defenseless because he would take his life back up again and, and shepherd us for eternity. 
So th this is the, the first reason, right, that Jesus is the good shepherd. And second, the second reason he gives us in this passage, the good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. So unlike the, the shepherds we hear about today that use dogs to lead their flock, back during this time, the shepherd would actually use their voice to, uh, to lead the, the flock and to call them. They often had a, a unique call for their sheep, um, and the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice and come to them. Sometimes the shepherd even had a unique call for each individual sheep, and the sheep would recognize uh, that call and come to him. When I was, uh, when I was prepping for this, you, I read that you could actually dress up in the same clothes and look exactly like the, the shepherd. Um, but as soon as you spoke out or called to the sheep, they would immediately know that you weren't the shepherd, and they would ignore you or, or flee from you even. So taking us back to verses 3 and 4, this is what Jesus says to, to, uh, in his parable, referencing the, the, referencing the shepherd here. He says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And now in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. This is a perfect picture of, uh, this is a, a beautiful picture of how our God, who created all things and all people, knows us, each of us, and calls us by name. Just like a shepherd knows his, his sheep, but obviously much more deeply than that, God knows each of us. He knows our past. He knows our struggles. He knows our desires and our needs. We can, we can take comfort in that this morning. Just like the shepherd knows his sheep, God knows our, our deepest needs, and he cares and provides for his people. And not only does he know us, but verses 14 through 15 says that we know him, just like Jesus knows God the Father. So just like when a stranger enters the, the sheep pen, either as a robber or, or somebody impersonating the shepherd, just because they make it into the fold doesn't mean they have any authority, right? The sheep recognize that authority. The sheep take no notice of the voice of the stranger, but will only respond and listen to the voice of the true shepherd. And in the same way, we as Christians are given spiritual discernment to know and recognize the voice of our true shepherd. As, uh, as one author says, the sheep have spiritual discernment and await the voice of their true shepherd. Jesus' authority can't be authenticated by signs. It is self-authenticating. It is demonstrated when the sheep hear his voice. So when God speaks to us through his word or through his spirit, we recognize his authority because we are his sheep and we have his spirit in us. And lastly, Jesus tells us in verse 16 that he has more sheep, not yet in his fold. In verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
So Jesus here could be uh, specifically talking about the Gentiles since at this time he was, he has revealed himself only to the Jewish people and eventually um, he would reveal himself to the Gentiles. Um, but in general, he's, he's referencing all of the sheep that have not yet been called or responded to his call. Jesus here is with urgency saying that he must go out and, and bring them into the fold. He implies that just because the sheep have not yet been brought into the fold does not mean that they are any less his sheep, right? He cares for them, and, and one day they will respond to his call and be brought in to make one united fold. So we see in this passage also the Jewish people who had heard Jesus say these things, these things they were divided. I don't know if they believed or not. Uh, let's read the, the last two verses, starting in verse 19. It says, The Jews who had heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a, a man possessed by a demon. Can a, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The parable Jesus just spoke, um, the meaning he gave behind the parable, it totally opposed the, the worldview of the Pharisees and, and many of the Jewish people at the time. So much so that, that some in the crowd believed that he was even possessed by a demon. But others in the crowd... Uh, they remembered the miracle that Jesus had just performed, as we saw in chapter 9. And if you remember from our message, our message then, um, the healing of a, a blind person was prophesied as a miracle that the Messiah would perform. Um, God himself was associated throughout the Old Testament as the one to give sight to the blind. And uh, it, was, it was a miracle that didn't occur before Jesus. So the people in the crowd who witnessed or heard about this miracle, uh, they were now hearing Jesus teach about himself and his authority. And they're, they're beginning to think, maybe he is telling the truth about who he is. So finally, just to, just to wrap things up, I have a few practical points for us to uh, take us through based on what we saw in today's passage. First off, uh, first point, enter through the gate. So God, our shepherd, is calling out to us. Have you responded to his voice and entered into his fold? If you haven't done so yet, I'd encourage you to ask yourself this morning, why not? We believe that all of us were, were born into a broken world filled with sin. And we ourselves were, are, are all sinners and born sinners. We're all separated from uh, God eternally. But God so loved the world that he, he sent his only son, right? Just as it says in John three sixteen. Jesus, God's son, lived a sinless life for us and died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. He conquered death and was raised to life again. And and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. If any of us simply believe in him and put our trust in him, we will join his fold, as we were talking about in this passage, and, and forever be reunited with him. So if you personally do not know if you've made this decision, 
or if, or if you don't know if you were reunited with God, I'd encourage you, please speak to myself or to somebody else here after the service, and we'd love to, to speak to you more on this. And second, second practical point, follow as he leads. So shepherds during this time, uh, they would walk ahead of their sheep uh, to lead them to their destinations. The sheep would uh, then have the difficult responsibility of following the shepherd as he led. And as we mentioned earlier, sheep are notorious wanderers, right? They often require the shepherd's patience uh, and retrieval um, and redirection as he led. And in the same way, we uh, as humans and Christians are, are prone to wander, right? We're easily distracted throughout our lives. Um, maybe we're walking through a dark time and we're not sure of where we're being led. But Jesus is our patient shepherd. And he walks with us and guides us. Just like it says in, in Psalm 23, a passage where probably most of us are familiar with. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And later it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we can trust that as we follow him, he will protect us, uh, even during the darkest times. We can trust that he'll provide for us. We can trust that he will never leave us or abandon us. All of us are going to be tempted in our lives to follow other false shepherds or to uh, wander off the path. Uh, but as Christians in the fold of Christ, we're called to surrender our flesh and to live according to his will for our lives. Lastly, uh, last point, go. I think we used this application in, uh, in John 9 a couple weeks ago, but it's still just as important here. With the Great Commission, Jesus calls his followers, us, to go out into the world making disciples. Jesus said in verse 16 of this chapter, there are other sheep, not of the sheep pen, that he must bring in, right? And, and we, as Christians, are to take part in that. We have the privilege and the opportunity to help our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members to answer the call of God and to join his fold. So let's, let's go out into our days and weeks, into our, our schools and our neighborhoods and workplaces uh, with the conviction knowing that there are people around us who, who don't know God yet. And, and these people are, are wandering sheep in need of not just a shepherd or a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. So I'll, I'll close now with uh, this quote from a book uh, that was written by a man who lived during the Great Depression, and he actually became a shepherd simply to survive. After shepherding for some time, he wrote this book as a, a commentary on, on Psalm 23 and, uh, and mixed in his experience of being an actual shepherd. He says, It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. 
Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his known, and delights in caring for us. So this is reason to rejoice for us this morning. God has chosen us, bought us, calls us his own, and cares for each of us. Not because we're anything great, uh, like the quote says, we're, we're quite the opposite, but it's because of his great love and mercy that we can be reunited with him. So let's, let's pray now together. God, we just thank you for this, this picture that you've given us in your word, uh, that you are our good shepherd. Thank you that you, you want to lead us, that you care for us, that you know each of us, uh, that, you, that you have called us and you are calling us by name. God, we, we uh, ask that you'd help us as followers of you to learn how to, to stay in the path and to follow you within our days. God, I ask if anybody does not know that, that you are, if you are their shepherd, uh, if they've been reunited with you, God, I ask that you would show them, um, show them your great love for them, show them their need for you. And Lord, I ask that you would, you would call them and bring them back into your fold, Lord. Um, Lord, we just thank you for this morning, once again, for this time today to worship you. Uh, Lord, help us to go out into our our weeks and days uh, with this conviction of, of others' need of being reunited with you. I ask that you would use us uh, in our days, in our lives. For all these things in your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.